WXDX FM, Pittsburgh. that Steelers game a second time last night on DVR. I can't stress enough how bad the Steelers played in that 21-21 loss at Cleveland. That's right, I called it a 21-21 loss. That's really what it was. The Steelers were just awful. And if they play that way against Kansas City, they will lose by 20 or more. That was just a terrible performance at Cleveland. And if it is indeed no big deal... That's only because it's the first game, and it's just one game. But on a scale of 1 to 10, that Steelers performance at Cleveland was a big heaping bucket of crap. It's easy to just rush off, and the Steelers have to, I guess. But if they don't realize how friggin' stinking bad they were, it's going to be that much tougher to move forward. I hear people on the talk shows, and I see them on Twitter, and they're still talking nonsense like 12-3-1. and They're going to go 12-3-1. How can you look at the way the Steelers played on Sunday, admittedly in bad weather? How can you see the Steelers as a legit Super Bowl contender after that? Because I'd say that's impossible. Just impossible. That showing on Sunday at Cleveland, that was 1969 Steelers bad. And that's real friggin' bad. I'm not sure the reality sunk in. That we realized just how bad the Steelers were at Cleveland. And maybe they'll bounce back, but maybe they won't. I don't see how you can take bouncing back for granted after how bad they were at Cleveland. You know where the bell holdout is damaging? It put the season in turmoil right from the beginning. You had all the drama on Wednesday, and four days later, the opener is a big bag of excrement. You can't tell me the two aren't related, especially in an environment that isn't all that disciplined and professional. Oh, is this great? I, I, I like sick again, but you have to switch it up once in a while. I don't know where we go from here. Barry's Wear Boots brought to you by 84 Lumber. Helping you build the right way since 1956. You heard what Coward said. I told you what John Ledger said. Every football writer in the country sees the Steelers for how sloppy they are, for how undisciplined they are, for how much they lack focus, except the guys around here. And and I get it because you want to be able to go to that locker room and not be in fear for Antonio Brown threatening you, which is now a trend. The nerve of that punk to call Ed Bouchette a racist. The nerve of him to threaten a guy who wrote a story. And like I said, and I hope this has trickled back to AB by now, because I've said it enough times. Antonio Brown will never throw a punch in his life. He doesn't have the balls. Anyway, let's go to Lee on the road. Lee. You're on with these super genius. How you doing? Terrific. 
do you see any comparison the way the Steelers are under Tomlin, similar to like the heart of like uh, Marvin Harris and the Bengals with their discipline and their lack of focus? No, it's not nearly as bad as the Bengals. But do you think? I think there are worse situations. There is more dysfunction in the league than the Steelers. Do you think it was something about progressively worse as time went on as the longer they were there? Absolutely. I no. I, I don't want to compare the Tomlin situation to Marvin Lewis at all. Uh, that's like comparing a misdemeanor and a capital crime, literally, in some cases. But uh, I think that the Steelers' discipline has gotten worse the longer Tomlin's been here. And I think and it, I think I in most situations, too. the guy would have been fired by now, but that's not the yep. way they do business. And, of course, the question always looms, if you did fire him, who would you hire? Would it be any better? And how quickly would it get better? And how much would it get worse before it got better? I agree, 100%. Because the next step is to bring in a disciplinarian. That's what you do, you know. You have the player's coach, then you bring in the disciplinarian. You have the disciplinarian, then you bring in the player's coach. That's very prevalent in hockey. I agree with you. you, Who would you bring in? Who would be a disciplinarian? Oh, they're not going to, so I'm not going to talk about it. But thank you for the call. You know me. I don't like to talk about what I know isn't going to happen. Tomlin can coach this team as long as he wants. So there's no point debating whether he should or shouldn't go. Let's go to Patience in Green Tree. Patience, you're on with Double M. Patience, you're on the air. Hey, Mark, uh, do you think uh, Tomlin's lack of accountability in the locker room on the players is a reflection of his uh, lack of accountability on the coaching staff, uh, like Keith Butler and in years past Cornell Lake as a secondary coach? Do you, no, no, see, do you, those are that's apples and oranges. You're talking about accountability for lack of performance, uh, perceived lack of performance. I don't know that Keith Butler's done all that bad a job. You can't polish excrement after all. But uh, but I, I think in terms of behavior, discipline, and focus, like Artie Burns right. taking his helmet off, giving the bronze 15 valuable yards on what proved to be their first scoring drive, and missing all of one play, I think that trickles down. I think incidents okay. like that contribute – to the culture being all over the place, to being dysfunctional, to being a oh, mess, yeah. as Colin Harbaugh. Coward said. Harbaugh in Baltimore would have benched him. Harbaugh doesn't put up with any of that stuff. I like him as a coach. Yeah, I think this is prevalent all over the league, but I think it really hurts the Steelers because it leads to opportunity missed. I think these right. Steelers have been good enough to be back to a Super Bowl since the last time they were there, which was back in 2010. I think I think they're better than they've shown. I think they have a better roster than three playoff wins in eight years. Don't you? No, I agree completely. Yeah, with them, like like you and Colin Coward, we, and I've been saying it for years. They should have made it further than they've done the past what four to five years in the playoffs. Regardless if they're playing uh, New England, a lot of that comes down to discipline. And you know what a big problem is too, bro. Whenever oh. stuff like this gets out there, that they're mouth, that they're dysfunctional, that they. Uh, are a mess that they lack focus and discipline. None of them break ranks. They all just pull tighter and, and honestly defend their lack of discipline and focus. You know, they don't even acknowledge it. What, what that locker room could really use, what that team could really use, and it would hurt at first, but it would help in the long run, is for a leader to say, like a Cam Hayward or Ben Roethlisberger, to say this room is effed up and it's got to fix itself or we're going nowhere. Because until that's said from within, 
they won't think there's anything wrong. You think Antonio Brown thinks there's anything wrong with the way he acts? No, no, no. Why would he? No one tells him that. It's like him and then like Juju the first day after the game. He's he's promoting uh, video game stuff on social media like he didn't even care about the game. Well, now, you know, that was arranged far in advance. And he's making uh, money from it, so I can't criticize it too much. I think it's a, I think it's an odd timeline, for sure, right. like you said. But I, I can't criticize him too much for that. Thank you for the call. Right. Yeah, that's what this team needs is someone from within that locker room to say out loud to the media, in public, if you will, this is effed up, and we're going nowhere till it changes. You don't think Cam Hayward knows how effed up it is? You don't think Ben knows how effed up it is? Stephon Tuitt, DeCastro, the responsible guys, the accountable guys, Ramon Foster. Ramon Foster opened his mouth Wednesday, but it took the team in the opposite direction that a guy like that opening his mouth should. It's a shame. I mean, I'm really fortunate that I don't care at all. There's one guy on the team, I no, there's a few I like, but the one I've known for a long time has his two rings, and he's in the Hall of Fame. I can't imagine, though, that you people, the ones who really care, don't see the situation for what it really is. But that's because you're not very bright. I understand that, and I've known that from the moment that I got my IQ tested in the fourth grade, and I knew I was smarter than all of you. And if you disagree with that, remember, you're listening, I'm talking, and only one of us is getting paid. Let's go to Tim on the parkway. Tim, you're on with Double M. Hi, Mark. How you doing? What's up? Yeah, I'm tired of the antics too. They're just if the if this team played with an old coach 20 years ago, uh, they would be back-to-back champions all the time. It's it's a, oh yeah, it's a but, mean... but but the, the times have changed. Yep, okay, exactly. you have to take that into account. But there has to be happy medium. There has to be a happy medium between the times changing and the utter chaos in which the Steelers operate. There, there has been the times have changed, but uh, an old school coach. I would love to see what Belichick would do with this team. There, there'd still be there'd still be guys out there. Me, 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 me. But uh, you see, but the next coach a- who comes in and, and tries to change all this will be met with total rebellion. Well, he, he still got assuming a new coach ever them. comes in. I think Tom was going to coach for many more years if he so chooses. Right, this guy's too much. Town's too much of a pushover, and and it, I do agree that you know the no, no, no. You and, see, you, you that shows you don't really get it totally either, sir. He's not a pushover. It's like this because he wants it that way. He wants his players to have what he thinks is freedom, but it translates to lack of focus. He, he can still say what he wants and, and put him in their place. He is the coach. You're not going to win the way he coaches, and you're not going to win with the players he has. You might win, and in fact, they did, when you had a locker room full of guys who made the locker room accountable without help of the coach. Let me tell you something. I used to get on Heinz Ward and bury him and tease him. I would make out with Heinz Ward if he came back in his prime and took Antonio Brown's place because he would give the team that much more of a chance to win. And make no mistake, Antonio Brown's a much better receiver than Heinz Ward. But for all my criticism of Heinz Ward, for as huge and inflated as ego got, he wanted to win. And he always did what was necessary to win. And when it came time to put the ego on the back burner and try and win, he always did. And they often won because of Heinz Ward. I agree. And it's just there's too much of a me, me, me now. And it's it's not going to happen anymore. But they don't even realize it's me, me, me. 
these guys, Antonio Brown has done it this way for so long, he just thinks that's the way it's done. We got Stan Savard at the bottom of the hour. A very cathartic version of the Mark Madden show today, I think. I think it's been really good, actually. Because every place else, you know what you're hearing? It's only one game. Don't worry about it. James Conner did great, did great, did great. Juju, having fun, having fun. A.B., how about that helicopter? Best receiver in the league, best receiver in the league. They'll be fine, they'll be fine, they'll be fine, they'll be fine. And they will be, until they're not. 105.9 The X. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. Are you saying that because you know it'll make me make fun of you? Yes, I love you, Mark. But I'll be quite blunt, slap nuts. The X at 105.9. I'm working on a column for the uh, Trib that will run tomorrow about the opening of Penguins camp. And uh, one thing we should remember about the Penguins, since they didn't win a third consecutive Stanley Cup, we've been guilty of paralysis by analysis. We've been guilty of nitpicking at small flaws and trying to imagine them as big flaws. But here's the front page on the Penguins for the 18-19 season. Penguins are loaded. I, I mean, how could anyone say otherwise? They're loaded. It's a center's league. They got two of the best three centers. They have a deep and versatile defense core. They got to figure out which wing goes where, but when they do, they're almost can't help but be good combinations. A couple things I'm looking for. I think Daniel Sprong's going to be odd man out. I just don't think the coach trusts him, and in some ways I don't blame him. He's not proven. This is a proven team. If you can't play him top six, you really can't play him. It bugs me that Dominic Simone might get more of a chance and more of an opportunity than his skill set merits, but, but we'll see. I want to see which side Rust plays on. I want to see if they balance the bottom two defense pairs. But again, this is paralysis by analysis. It's a loaded team. And there aren't many bad combinations they could put together that would hinder them from having a legitimate shot at the Stanley Cup. Now, maybe they lose to the Capitals again, who are really good. They could have lost to them in 16 and 17. They could have beat them in 18. But the Penguins are loaded. Don't analyze too much beyond that. Here's a quote from Chris Letang in the Post-Gazette. He said he feels, quote, like a million times better. It's not even close. It feels good to have good sessions in the summer and be able to skate out there, unquote. People like to criticize Tanger and Matt Murray. Each is a multi-time champion. Each is one of the best at his position in the league. And each had problems last season because of extenuating circumstances. And those extenuating circumstances have, for better or worse, been put in the rearview mirror. And I expect each to elevate to pretty near what he had been in the past. And there's no discernible reason to think it'll be otherwise unless you're just a dink. Uh, Daniel Sprong said, quote, this is on the Penguins website, I had a really good summer in Montreal. I put on some more muscle and had a chance to work on my speed. I was really happy with how last season went. I thought playing the season in Wilkes 
was huge for my development. I think it helped me to get ready for this year. Y'all, that's well said by Sprong. Where do you put him? You know what I would do? Here's what I would do. I'd play him on Sid's line the first month. I'd say, okay, you're getting the first month on Sid's line. Make it or break it. And then when Sid doesn't like it, I wouldn't necessarily listen to Sid. To be very blunt. You know, I'd just say, okay, here's what we're doing. But I just don't think that's going to happen. The lines fit together easy if, if Simone's not in the top six. If he is, because the coaches and Sid like him, dominoes fall in a way I would not want. My top two lines are Gensel, Hornquist, and Crosby. Kessel, Malkin, and Hornquist. I do keep Broussard at center because the best depth chart you can put together for the Penguins has Derek Broussard as your third-line center. Shane's not good enough to be a full-time third-line center. Jumping up occasionally, yes, but not full-time. And I'm perfectly comfortable with him on the fourth line as the center and Cullen as left wing on that line. You know, I, I like what people say, well, they got too many centers. What, what does that even mean? It's the league based on having good centers. They have six legitimate NHL centers. What could possibly be a downside to that? Let's go to Alex in the car. Alex, you're on with Mark. Hey, Mark, how you doing? Good. Hey, I was listening to your comment earlier. You were talking with someone about uh, the thing with Mark Caballi and Mike Wallace and Mike Tomlin back in the day. and I think it was Mike Wallace. I'm not totally sure. Okay. Well, with that being said, and then everything that would happen with Antonio Brown this past week with the journalist or whatever, and everything that transpired with Joey Porter and everything and the culture there, why hasn't the local and the national people that cover the Steelers really gone after Tomlin? It feels like you're the only person that really – criticizes the Steelers. I mean, I look around and read these columns, and I'm not going to say the names of some of these people, but it just seems like, oh, yeah, Le'Veon Bell's not here. It's all right. Because you know? that's because they don't want to go into Steelers headquarters and feel like it's going to be a confrontation. And I never go to Steelers headquarters, which some people think is a disadvantage for me. I think it's a great advantage. And good thing, too, because I will never be going there again. By the way, uh, I just found a um, a recap of the Kabali Mike Wallace thing. Tomlin did not use the term MF to describe uh, Kabali, just FYI. But he still said, hell no, you don't have to talk to him. Up next, always a pleasure, the Godfather, Stan Safford, 105.9. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. Mark, love the show. Double M, big fan, big fan. He's a game changer. He's a guy that makes a big difference. Ooh, that's a good one. VX at 105.9. We heard from Bill Hillgrove. He'll join me at 5.15. But right now, it's a pleasure to welcome the godfather of the Pittsburgh sports media. He is the great Stan Saffron. Stan, when's the last time the Steelers played as bad as they did Sunday? Because that performance at Cleveland was an absolute debacle. Yeah, it's um, there have been other games. Uh, I remember a game they played against Houston, an expansion team, and lost 24-3. to uh, even though they gave up like 50 yards of total offense. That was uh, uh, a pretty bad one. And when you think about the importance or enormity of a game, uh, I'll never be able to let go of the playoff game against Jacksonville. Uh, to me, that was the most shocking, humiliating, embarrassing uh, game, one of them anyway, that I can remember in a very long time. It's a shame James Conner fumbled, because otherwise his debut as an NFL starter was like a fairy tale, wasn't it? 
Yeah, it really was. I mean, he uh, he ran extremely well. Uh, I, I think you can isolate that fumble as the turning point in the game without being overly critical of the guy who actually fumbled it. Uh, you have to analyze that game and look where the Browns were. People who were at the game, uh, reporters, uh, just watching on television, as, as we did, the Browns had given up. Uh, the Browns had come to the realization that they, after all, are the Browns, and they can go for about three quarters, and that's about it. Um, and you could just, people were leaving the stadium. You could just see the slump in the brown shoulders. They twenty-one to seven. They hadn't been able to do anything, and that just energized them. Now, uh, I don't blame the defense for giving up a touchdown there. It's at the one-yard line, but the defense still could have made a difference. I think, by and large, they did a pretty good job. Uh, but they still had opportunities to win that game. And, yeah, it goes as a tie, but I think everybody would agree it certainly feels like a loss, although I don't think long-term it's really going to affect them. It not only feels like a loss, Dan, it feels like a bad one. Uh, I think the long-term depends on what happens starting with Sunday against Kansas City. But but staying with Connor, he only had 14 yards on his last 10 carries. Should that workload be divided a bit more against Kansas City? Um, I don't know about divided. But I do think there are times, like in the second half, where they could have put Ridley in for a series. Uh, look, I know he's young, he's strong, he's in great shape. But when you're running on a muddy field like that, that takes a heavy toll on, on legs. Um, it's just heavier going. Um, and, and I again, I don't know that it was all him, but... I do think that he had to be fatigued at that time. Doesn't mean he's incapable, but he might have been more effective uh, if he'd had a little bit more rest. I think any asking any back, even though you're playing uh, mostly an extra period of football, uh, 35 carries, 40-plus touches is an awful lot. You'd have to be superhuman not to feel the effects of that. Maybe nothing changes. Maybe it was a matter of the offensive line not opening the holes that they did earlier, but, I, again, it's not a matter of using Ridley late in the fourth quarter in overtime. It's a matter of using him, uh, you know, maybe for a bit when you've got a lead to get him just a series or two rest. I agree. Uh, why is Ben – why does he struggle so mightily on the road stand, and why did he struggle so mightily on Sunday at Cleveland? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I mean, Stan, his accuracy was all over the place, wasn't it? Early on, you could tell. Um, that you know he missed some balls. Uh, the conditions were tough. Uh, certainly, Tyrod Taylor wasn't any better. His percentages uh, were worse. But the thing that Cleveland, the reason Cleveland got Tyrod Taylor, is that he doesn't turn the ball over. If you would have told me Tyrod Taylor would be forced to pass forty times, um, I would say that's exactly what you want him to do. They shut down the running game. They force him to pass, but. He only threw the one pick that was very late. And maybe more importantly, Mark, he was sacked seven times and never once fumbled and obviously didn't lose one. Um, that's his value, if you want to do, put it that way. Uh, as far as, you know, Ben just had a bad day. Um, they took away his favorite receiver for the most part. Uh, I still think that the Steelers are going to have to develop a third weapon in the pass game. Right now they don't have it. It was going to be the tight end. He's never available. Uh, I don't know why James Washington didn't play. He certainly, I believe, is a better option than Justin Hunter. Yeah, only 11 snaps, Dan, and Hunter played 51. Yeah, um, and, and, and I do and I. If I'm right about this, uh, I don't believe that Washington was targeted once. Um, uh, we saw in the preseason, and that's the preseason, although he didn't play with Ben, 
this is a guy who can be a threat. Um, and, you know, listen, whatever Martavis was and more accurately what he wasn't, teams still had to pay attention to him. They're not going to pay much attention to Justin Hunter, although in his defense he did catch a touchdown pass, which was called back on a penalty. Uh, McDonald was brought here to stretch the defense. I don't know if he can. We, we never see him. Uh, James Washington, great pedigree. I think they're going to need that. Ben's quarterback rating throughout his career is 20 points lower on the road than it is at home. I wish I had an explanation, Mark. I've been talking about this for a very long time. I, I, I don't get it. I know teams don't play generally as well on the road as they do at home. That's true in all sports. But I don't know why Ben would be affected so dramatically. I mean, you can't argue the numbers. Should Ben play more in the preseason, Stan? Would that risk necessarily offer any guarantees? I'm way ahead of you on that one. Uh, a lot of people were suggesting that he looked rusty and so on and so forth. So with absolutely nothing else to do with the time that I have, I went back and I looked at every single first game of the season since Ben began, actually in 2005, because he didn't start the first game of 2004, and we exclude 06, he was hurt, and 10, he was serving the suspension. Uh, and I looked at those games, and he may have played a bit more in the preseason um, than he does now, but not a whole lot more, and I'm pretty sure he never played in the final preseason game in any of those. And there's no correlation between how much time he gets in the preseason versus what he does in the very first game of the year. Um, he's had a couple of clunkers, but of the 14 openers, the 13 openers he's played in, his stats are really very good. Uh, so, again, I don't know that you can say, oh, this is the reason why. And I went back and looked at every first game of the year, beginning in 2005 through 2017, and he's had some really big games. A couple of bad ones, but by and large, he's been very good, and the Steelers have won an overwhelming majority of those openers. We're talking to Stan Saverin. He's brought to you by the law firm of Shenderovich, Shenderovich and Fishman. What was your take on the day the offensive line had, Stan? I thought they did great run blocking, pass blocking, not so good, although Ben did hold on to the ball awful long a couple times. Well, I think, Mark, that goes back to what I was saying earlier. Um, there were times, at least a couple of those sacks, uh, were coverage sacks. Uh, I think the first one by Miles Garrett was a classic example. He didn't have anybody open. Should he have eaten it? Um, maybe. Uh, but, you know, his M.O., he wants to see if he can the last possible second. Um, he generally is much better at ball security, although we learned today he had an elbow injury. I'm just, I don't know. I'm wondering if that affected his throwing and or his ball security. Uh, but that goes back to what I'm saying. They took A.B. away. Every team tries to do that, but they still need that third option. Juju had a pretty good game. Connor caught five balls, but part of the reason that the Browns' pass rush was getting to him was, I think, Think that his secondary, his third guys, were just not open. And that's what I'm saying. They need to develop that third weapon in the pass game. Did the Steelers miss Bell? No. Based on performance, I will say this. Uh, one thing that is under-discussed about Le'Veon Bell, and I mentioned this on my show Friday, you know, we, we understand his uh, capabilities and his stats and the things that he can do that most other backs can't. But one thing that isn't mentioned terribly often this guy throughout his career very, very rarely fumbles. He just doesn't. Uh, and this is a guy who's had over a thousand touches in his career, and I believe he's lost something like 
seven fumbles. That's a pretty good percentage. Um, I'm not saying James Conner's a fumbler. Uh, maybe Bell would have fumbled. You listen, Jerome Bettis never fumbled either until he did in that game against Indianapolis. So, no, I, I, you know, again, I still think even though Conner caught five passes, I mean, he's not as dangerous in the pass game. Plus, they line up Bell as a wide receiver. They did some with Conner, too. So I shouldn't say that they didn't miss him. But imagine this. Imagine if they had both of them going, or even if Bell was getting 70%, Conner was getting 30%, um, you might have seen a different outcome. I thought Hayden leaving the game really hurt, Stan. Uh, not not that Cam Sutton's rotten, but I think that secondary needs a veteran to keep it organized. And I fear for the Steelers' secondary if Hayden can't go against Kansas City. And he's their best secondary guy. He's the most experienced guy. Uh, I think he's a glue guy back there. Um, I, I agree. I mean, he's. I wonder about the advisability of having a guy who's 29. He's got a lot of mileage, still a good player, maybe lost a half a step. Does he really need to be on special teams? I mean, you've got all these young guns uh, in the secondary, and I do think that their secondary is better. I think it's deeper. I think, again, we're talking Cleveland. We'll see what happens with Kansas City. And, you know, Tampa unleashed, a, a surprisingly, a big-time offense. But uh, we didn't see guys running through the secondary with two defenders pointing their fingers at each other saying, hey, that's your guy. No, it's your guy. We didn't see any of that. Uh, and, again, it's the Browns. Um, we'll, they'll face better quarterbacks and better competition. Uh, but I do think that if you're, if you're without, I think, your best corner, uh, then it's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt. It's going to hurt you, no question. I look at six turnovers and 12 penalties stand by the Steelers. I look at Artie Burns' meltdown. And I see a familiar lack of focus and discipline against a bad opponent. Uh, people like to kind of sweep that under the carpet, but it's there. It's definitely there. Well, I think uh, I would isolate the burns from some of the other penalties. I don't know that um, that every penalty is an undisciplined penalty. Um, Twelve is too much. I don't care if they're all false starts or they're all offside or you know whatever they are. Uh, the burns uh, issue is unacceptable. And uh, this is not his first time. Um, it's not their first time with this kind of thing. Uh, and he says he recognized he, you know, he owned up to it. But that only lasts until you, you do it again. So I'm not impressed until I see him not do it again. Uh, as far as the other penalties, I mean, clearly, um, you're given a bad team. And they're better, but they're still a bad team. You're giving them an opportunity to keep them in the game. I mean, by all right, well, first of all, even with the penalties, 21-7 with seven and a half minutes to play, whatever happened before that, to me, is irrelevant. It's the next seven and a half minutes that defined that game. But, I mean, clearly, whatever the penalties are, you're just killing yourself. I mean, on two, I think the penalty that was, was maybe the worst of the lot, right before Artie Burns, they get a sack on first down. Cleveland's got a second and 20 to three, their own three, and Javon Hargrave gets a defensive hold. He gives them a first down. Then Burns does what he does, and off they go on a touchdown. The Steelers come right back on the long pass to Juju. First and goal from the seven. They score touchdowns in the next two plays, and they're brought back because of penalties. They get out of it because Ben hits A-B for 22. But those are the kinds of things against better teams that will kill you. And, hey, it killed them against the bad team Sunday. Kansas City won at L.A. They beat the Chargers. That's a big win. Mahomes look good at quarterback. Tyreek Hill maybe the fastest guy in football. Sunday at Heinz Field won't be easy, will it? No, it won't. 
Um, although the Steelers have had pretty good success against the Chiefs uh, for whatever reason. Now, again, that was with Alex Smith. I, I mean, I don't know uh, how much uh, they, different they do, Andy Reid, with, with this kid at quarterback. Um, he had a very good game, although I would also point out, uh, not to diminish their abilities, but two of Mahomes' touchdown passes were of one yard. Uh, now, I don't know if that's to make for a lack of a running game. I'm not sure why that is. But two of the touchdown passes were one yard. So it's not like he was, you know, throwing bombs all over the place. And he'll, uh, you know, when he caves uh, uh, a special teams guy, that's all he did. But now they're lining him up at wide receiver. Uh, he's he's great, you know, great danger. Um, anytime he's out there from any spot on the field. And you just can't give him a free six points. Finally, Stan, what's to be said about Pitt? Penn State killed him. That was just terrible. I mean, I, I can't picture the game could have gone any worse for Pitt. I, I can't either. Um, uh, the, the thing that struck me about that was is that it's a one-point ball game. Um, and then all of a sudden, uh, you know, if you get blown off in the beginning, you get blown off in the beginning. But it's a one-point ball game for most of the first half. I mean, you're right there. The one thing that struck me, well, a number of things struck me, um, uh if you expect, especially college kids, not pros so much, but college kids, if you expect your players to play uh, with composure, then you as the head coach can't lose yours. You cannot expect a 20-year-old to play with composure, bite his tongue even when he's upset, when the coach is on the sideline jumping up and down at the first sign of adversity. Now, I realize that Pat Narduzzi apologized for that. He said it you know, wouldn't happen again. But it's happened before. The same thing with Artie Burns. Uh, that's that's one thing. The second thing, I was uh, out of town driving back to Pittsburgh, so I had to listen to the game on satellite radio, and the uh, one I could pick up was the Penn State broadcast. Anyway, so they're coming off the field at the end of the first half, and as you know, Pitt was gouging Penn State on the run. First half, a couple hundred yards, whatever it was. And so they interviewed Franklin coming off the field, by the way, who comes across as a real jerk. But anyway, <laughs> he's, um, uh, and I was going to use another word, but even on your show, it's not acceptable. Um, and, and they asked him, you know, what about all these yards at Piscaning on the ground? He said, our schematics are off. We're not, you know, covering it the way we got to change our game plan and how we're going to deal with the run. How many yards rushing did Pitt get in the second half? Um, that told, you know, that's, that's, good coaching when you make that adjustment and Pitt was not able to adjust back. I mean, it's not something that they necessarily, I don't know necessarily that has to define their season, but um, uh, again, you know, what represents progress? Um, you're still sitting at five and seven, no bowl game. Everybody goes to a bowl game. And while I don't think the season's on the line, um, if they were to lose at home to Georgia Tech, now all of a sudden that what I was talking about with the Browns, that feeling about, oh, no, here we go again, I think that begins to seep in. Stan, as always, great stuff. I'll see you Thursday on your program. All right, Mark, look forward to it. That's Stan Saverin brought to you by the law firm of Shenderovich, Shenderovich and Fishman. Up next, I'll talk to Bob McLaughlin. And next hour, we got Bill Hillgrove. Also, we had a soundbite from Colin Coward on Fox Sports that really lays it on the line, tells the truth about the Steelers. We'll play that again for you next hour as well. 105.90X. And now, the super genius, Mark Madden. Good day, Mr. Madden. Good day. Hey, Mark. I want a sugar daddy. Double M, love hang. About all at once. The X at 105.9. I'm joined now by Bob McLaughlin. Bob brought to you by 84 Lumber. Uh, Bob, the injury report today was some disturbing news. First off, Ben apparently is nursing an elbow injury. 
uh, that ain't good. It's not thought to potentially keep him out of the Kansas City game, but when your veteran quarterback's having injury problems after week one, again, that doesn't bode well. Also, Joe Hayden has that hamstring pull, and it's supposedly mild, but they're caught between a rock and a hard place. Do you want to rush Joe Hayden back against Kansas City, or do you want to let him you know, take a week off and try to get back to 100%? Ordinarily, I'd say the latter, but after tying Cleveland and given the way Mahomes played uh, against L.A. in week one, this game Sunday in Heinz Field has a level of importance I hadn't thought it would. Yeah, uh, funny how that worked out, and I agree with you, Mark. Um, I'd love to be able to give Joe Hayden time to marinate and get better and you know, go to him a week or two down the line when he's totally healthy. And Thankfully, a lot of the people who saw him walking around Steeler headquarters said that he wasn't walking with a limp, he didn't look to be in discomfort, didn't look to be in pain, um, and the report yesterday from the MRI, um, it didn't seem too damning or too bad, um, but boy... The importance of this game against Kansas City this week coming up already has been elevated because of the tie against Cleveland. And you're right. He is such a cog now in that secondary. He is such an important piece there. Um, I think people look to him for how they should play in the secondary. He's, you know, he's got that veteran presence. He's he's just a, such an important piece. You can't miss him. I say play him this week if he's at all able. Push it if you have to. I tend to think that that's what they have to do. And, again, I think Cam Sutton's a pretty good young defensive back. I just don't want him in tandem with Artie Burns on the corners. Uh, I'd I'd like Joe Hayden with Cam Sutton. I'd like Joe Hayden with Artie Burns. I I just want, like you said, the veteran out there somewhere. Um, David DeCastro with a hand fracture. But but I guess an offensive lineman can, can gut it out with that injury. You know what? I don't know how if you're allowed to cast that hand or what kind of fracture it is. Um, interesting that they didn't say break and interesting that he played the entire game. Um, so I look for him to go. I don't think that there was anything said during the presser today or, you know. No, it didn't seem like there was much doubt. Right. Maybe it's just, look, you know, a couple months ago, I broke one bone in my finger and you're able to do stuff. Yeah, it hurts and it swells up, but they just put this little C-cast around it to try and immobilize it. And I think if they tape him down enough and put something on there, he'll be good to go. Uh, again, um, following the Browns' tie mark, if it's close, I say air on the side of playing him. What was your take on Coward's uh, monologue about the Steelers, which we'll be replaying uh, in the next hour? I thought that the Robert Downey Jr. comparison was perfect. It was so that spot on. The Steelers are Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> during his drug era. So good. <laughs> Things are screwed up, but he still gets jobs because he's so good. Yeah, because you heard that about Robert Downey Jr. All throughout the early days of his career about just what a natural talent, how good he is, how versatile he could do anything. But he was such a nightmare, you couldn't get insurance on a movie if he was cast in it. Because chances are he's going to be found somewhere in an alley, blown out of his mind, where he wouldn't show up for a week. Um, it's crazy right now with the Steelers. Uh, I'm glad that, uh, I'm glad that they've, you know, got all these. See, I thought what Coward said was right on the money. Oh, perfect. Perfect. And you know, they are dysfunctional. They are a mess. And why doesn't the local media see that? Is it because they're too close because they don't want to? I think that they do. I just don't think that they blare that headline. I think that they talk around it or they talk at it. Like, okay, look, we just can't keep writing the same thing, but Colin Coward also used roller coaster. 
And it is an absolute roller coaster. The game Sunday was a roller coaster from beginning to end. You look back at some of the uh, last eight to 10 seasons under Coach Tomlin, and he's right. Three playoff wins, that's far too few. Tomlin blew off Antonio Brown threatening the reporter from the undefeated today, said you can't trust social media. I think you could trust Antonio Brown to quote himself accurately. <laughs> and the story on the undefeated was well sourced and well written. Shouldn't something happen to Antonio Brown? Shouldn't he have to apologize or tweet a retraction or do something to subjugate himself to the fact that he acts like an ass? I agree with you that something should have to happen, but I also understand just like you do, it won't. I think that using accountability and integrity in his quote today, Coach Tomlin did a great disservice because that story was written well, it was sourced, it was backed up. Uh, Proof is in the pudding, Mark. They were actually Antonio Brown's DMs and his tweets that were used in parts of the story. So you know that there's an, there's accountability there. That's taken care of. The only lack of integrity is how, you know, A.B. chose to respond to the story. Well, well Tomlin and A.B. and the Steelers in general just think they're above right and wrong. No, uh, it's, look, I Not thought it like would be Not unlike Big Earn at the end of uh, Kingpin. Right. <laughs> I thought that would be handled. I didn't think we would have to deal with that again this year. Um, boy, naivete, right? Can't wait for the Penguins. That's Bob McLaughlin. Up next, we talk more about that Tomlin News Conference. I wish that was still on TV so I could pointedly not watch it. 105.90X.